The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. in this series on the Apostles' Creed, which we began last week. Pastor York began with I believe in God, and this week it's I believe in God the Father Almighty. What does it mean to believe that God is Almighty and that He is our Father? Pastor York actually began to look at this theme last week, talking about God being both great and good. I'd like to look at this subject from the perspective of the end of the book of Job, Reading chapter 38, Job, as you know, probably most of you know from reading this book or knowing something of this book, that Job is wrestling deeply with questions, burning questions as he suffers about God's justice and God's wisdom in what he has been doing in Job's life. It's as if Job doesn't really doubt God's almighty power, but more the exercise of it and the direction it's going in his life. And we've heard at this point up till now in the book, Job's friends, his three friends who are really mostly wrong in what they say, equating suffering with your level of sin. And then Elihu comes along, and there are different views about Elihu. But my view is that Elihu is really part one of God's answer to Job. In other words, Elihu is, is, is giving right theology. But then the second part of God's answer is the Lord himself, who at the end of Elihu's speech comes in the whirlwind and the storm, and he begins to answer Job. And so let us hear God's word, Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from its womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther." And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken." Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? 
Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, or the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go? And say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the waterskins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or, or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food. This is God's word. For those of you who are old enough, you probably remember where you were in July of 1969 when the moon landing took place and human beings walked on the moon. I remember as a 16 year old boy thinking that that was really amazing, that it took so much knowledge, and such power to put a man on the moon. And then that was brought home to me years after the fact when I watched that movie Apollo 13 about an Apollo mission that went wrong and just thinking about how tricky it would be and all the calculations it would require to kind of redirect your Apollo vehicle to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. Well, we know that that does take a lot of know-how a lot of rocket power to get to the moon. But all of us would immediately also ascribe and know that that's like a little finger of the activity of God when you think about the almighty power of God. We want to think tonight about affirming that part of the creed that says that we believe in God, the Father Almighty. And I want to look at that from the book of Job primarily here thinking of three points as we look at this. Number one, when to confess faith in God the Father Almighty is to, first of all, believe in the wisdom and power of God. And then secondly, it means that we humble ourselves 
in repentance and faith before such a God. And finally, that we draw near to God as a loving Father through faith in Christ. Those are my three main points. Let's look at the first one then. To confess faith in God the Father Almighty is to believe in the wisdom and power of God. And that's what we're confronted with when we read through this chapter. I didn't read all of God's response. It was too long to read the entire response. I will refer to other parts of it. But you, you think of Job suffering and at times complaining about God's justice and wanting his day in court with God. His friend speaking, and then Elihu speaking here, and then even as Elihu continues and concludes his speech, there's this declaration from Elihu's mouth about out of the north, God comes in golden splendor, clothed with awesome majesty in verse 22 of the chapter before the one that we read. God comes and answers Job. If you had never read the book of Job before, and you think God's going to speak to Job, you would probably think, well, good. God's going to explain all this to Job, which is not what he does at all, if you know the book at all. He doesn't give Job reasons. He doesn't even talk about Job's suffering. He questions Job, and in a sense, God is declaring his God's superior wisdom his unsearchable wisdom and power. In verse 2 of chapter 38, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God's counsel, we would define as God's design, his plan, his scheme, we might say, his purpose. The word is used in Isaiah 46.10, And there it says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my, and there's the word, counsel, purpose, it might be translated. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. A clear description of, of God's almighty power as he acts in wisdom to fulfill his purpose, his plan. And so, for Job to darken God's counsel in this way is to deny that God's plan is really there or that God's plan is really wise, to deny God's purpose and control over the world. In other words, God is saying to Job, you are denying my almighty power and wisdom. Here's Job, a believer. Job, righteous in the sense of having righteousness through faith. Job, exemplary. So that God at the beginning of the book says to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And yet, Job, deeply struggling here with, at this time in his life, at this particular point in suffering, struggling with affirming the almighty power of God, the counsel of God, the purpose of God, the wisdom of God. Job had been asserting over and over that God had denied him justice. How else could he explain 
a good man such as Job having such bad things happen to him? And really, this question about the almighty power of God, when people bring this up, maybe you've talked to fellow workers, fellow students, friends, who talk about suffering in this world, or they point to the tsunami and the earthquake in Japan and the the thousands that were killed, or they point to the Holocaust as such an evil, terrible thing. How could God be almighty? Or if he's almighty, how could he be good? How can God be wise in this? God really speaks to this issue immediately in a different way than we would expect. He doesn't answer Job's questions in the way that we would expect them to be answered. He doesn't answer them at all. You just wonder, whenever you read Scripture out loud, you wonder, what would have been the tone of God's voice here? You know, we don't have an inspired intonation here. Clearly, Job wanted God to be uh, on the dock, so to speak, be, you know, up for trial. And God turns it around, and he puts Job on trial, as it were. And he basically says in verse 3, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And so begins this long questioning of Job. And he gives Job a, a chance to answer, and he does at one point. And he goes on more. And finally, we'll see the end of that. But just thinking of chapter 38, you heard me read it, and maybe you got lost as to what are we talking about here? What is all of this? And it doesn't stop there. It goes on. But just looking at chapter 38 itself, let me just summarize for you the main points. And God is describing his sovereign power and wisdom over his creation. And he's saying, Job, do you know how all this works? Can you do the things that I have done and continue to do? In verses 4 to 7, the focus is on the earth itself. And as you skim over that, you see he, he talks about, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And he talks about the measurements of the earth or cornerstone of the earth or uh, where were you, Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted joy, probably re- referring to the angels at creation. Clearly, when you think of the creation of the earth, Job can't say anything about that. In fact, he can't say anything about any of these areas. In verses 8 through 11, it's descriptive of the sea. And the sea is described as being hemmed in by God and put in its appointed place. And God has shut it within its doors and set limits on it. And he said, you shall come thus far and no farther. Speaking about the limits of the ocean in terms of the dry land. God does that. Or verses 12 to 15. There he's talking about primarily about the dawn. Can you imagine being asked this by God in verse 12? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? You know, if you woke up early, maybe you couldn't sleep and you're up at 3 a.m., you think, you know, I think I'm going to command the dawn to start a little earlier here today. You know, in a sense, isn't it silly even to think of that? We know we can't do that. And God is questioning Job about the dawn. Or in verses 16 to 18, he's talking about the, the width and the, and the depth of the sea and the land. Have you entered, verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea? 
or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? And then verses 19 to 21 on the origin of darkness and light talks about the, the, whole, the, the matters of, of darkness and light. And then verses 22 to 30, an, an extensive section about weather, about the snow, about hail. Have you seen the storehouses of the hail? You know, I saw a photo in the newspaper the other day about all the cities across the United States in this warm winter we've had up till now. And they had all these storehouses for the salt, for the roads. And the, the thrust of the story was, Cities are saving lots of money because they're not having to use this salt. That's good. And not paying overtime for everybody. But you see these storehouses. And I was reading this text this week thinking of a poetic way of God speaking about the storehouses for the hail and the snow. Certainly God is sovereign over these things. Or verses 31 to 33, talking about the heavens and the, the constellations, Orion, Pleiades, There's a constellation that we don't know, but we think that's what it is in verse 32. We think that's what it's a reference. And and talking about uh, God's sovereignty over the heavens, or verses 34 to 38, talk about rain and uh, sending forth the rain in different places, feeding the ground, talking about animals and sovereignty over those. So many of these themes, and then it goes on in the next chapter as well. But just to give you a taste of that, God questions Job. And the answer is, the upshot of all this is, Job does not have God's wisdom or power. In fact, he is surrounded by mystery. He can't do any of these things. He doesn't know any of this or how it's done or how God did it, how he created these things, how he sustains them. And you and I are likewise surrounded by mystery in our lives. Yes, there's been scientific knowledge advance, but we must not think that these questions don't apply to us as well. All the scientific discoveries could be put in a little thimble compared to the wisdom of Almighty God. Maybe scientists now can trace out DNA chromosomes and do things like that. But still, I read an article about how articles are submitted and written for scientific magazines, journals. And, you know, the scientist does his work and then consults with others, and he submits an article, and then this article is sent out. Other scientists respond, give advice, and so forth. Finally, the article is in the final form. That's how scientific knowledge advances. You know, there are hypotheses, studies that are done, and, you know, for a scientist to get an article out, that's a big step. But compared to God, God doesn't have to have any review of the articles that he might write. No, he knows it all. The point is here, God is showing Job, Job, you are not God. You are not God. You do not have God's wisdom or power. And it's unthinkable that Job or any person should suggest to God how to run the world. God is the one who is almighty. 
And this continues to come out. Chapter 39, 40. Essentially, we see here that the working of the physical universe is declared by God to be under his sovereignty. And the other thing that we see from all of this is that God is saying, my almighty power is purposeful. So to affirm, I believe in God the Father Almighty is essentially saying we believe God is all-powerful. He is sovereign over our world in every way. And that sovereignty is purposeful. There is clearly God's moral governance of all things. God's power is high and lofty. God's governance of the world is beyond us. It far surpasses our lowly powers of understanding. It reminds me of Isaiah 40, just to read a verse or two, starting at verse 25. Just to think about this, when, when God, essentially God is again and again asking his people to consider these things and putting them before us and saying, remember this. Here he says to the Israelites, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Like the Israelites... For you, for me, if we are going to affirm the almighty power of God in our lives, it may be that we need to say, it feels like my way is disregarded by my God. I don't understand why this is happening in my life. Do I believe in the almighty wisdom and power of God on my behalf? There was a story in the Talmud, which I think is an interesting one. I read this story about a a pious rabbi named Akiba. He had taken a trip to a strange country where um, he was unknown there, and he took three possessions along with him, a, a donkey, a rooster, and a lamp, as the story goes. And when he stopped at a village for lodging for the night, the people wouldn't let him in. They drove him out, and he was forced to spend the night in the forest. Being the pious man that he was, he said, All that God does is done well. And he finds a tree under which to sleep, and he lights his lamp to prepare to study the Torah before going to bed for the night. But a fierce wind comes and blows out the lamp, forcing him to go to sleep. And later on, some wild animals come through and chase away his rooster. And then not long after that, some thieves come and steal his donkey as well. So obviously it's It's a very bad night for him, but in every case, he says, God has done well. And the next morning, he goes back to the village where he had tried to stay, and there he discovered that an enemy army had come at night and killed everyone. And so he has a different perspective, obviously. Had he stayed there, he would have been killed. But he also learned that soldiers had been out in the forest as well where he had slept, and had they seen the light of his lamp or heard his rooster crow, or heard his donkey bray, again, he would have been killed. So, thinking on all of these things, he replied, as he always did, all that God 
does is done well. Well, that's a pretty simple illustration, isn't it? We don't know. And sometimes you think when something happens, you think, well, maybe something else worse would have happened if that didn't occur. Do you ever think that way? Maybe. But you just don't know. And that's a very simple kind of story, almost for a child. You think of the complexity of this world and the almighty power of God. No wonder we cannot trace it out. Well, my second point is that to believe and affirm in God the Father Almighty means to humble ourselves in repentance and faith before God. In other words, the almighty power of God and the wisdom of God should make us humbled before God. And here we turn ahead, if you want to turn ahead a page or two in your Bible to Job 42. I didn't go through all of each of God. We didn't have time to look at it all in depth, but we come up to the final conclusion when God finally finishes his speech out of the whirlwind to Job. And here we see Job's response in verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What do we see unfolding here as Job replies? Well, in verses 1 and 2, we see Job submitting to the sovereignty of God. He's finally come to that point. In verse 3, He's acknowledging that God's wisdom is so far superior to his. And then in verses 4 to 6, Job submits to God in confessing his unwise words spoken. It's really not a small thing to believe in the almighty power of God to affirm the wisdom and power of God, the Father Almighty. And really, as we consider this tonight, I think one application we can draw from this, we see Job's response. We need to pray that we would be humbled before such a great God ourselves, that we would be humbled and repentant and believing in our God as we wrestle with this. Contentment in God is not an easy thing, is it? We Americans like things instantly. We like to get places instantly. We like things to happen just the way we want them to. We're used to life going well. They say that people who live in the the majority world and who have to get in line and maybe stand in line all day long to wait for some simple thing getting done, that they're, they're used to just kind of waiting around. Americans aren't like that. No. If we have to wait 10 minutes, something is wrong with the world. Something is wrong and a complaint needs to be lodged. That spills over, I think, into our spiritual lives with a real temptation for discontentment before God. And so we need to be repenting of our murmuring against God. and We need to be satisfied with God's holy will that we rest in Him and trust in Him that he is God the Father Almighty, and every one of us is called to submit more fully to God. 
we do that initially when we come to faith in Christ, but we're to be doing that continually as we walk with him. John Calvin preached 159 sermons from Job, the book of Job. What a treasure that that is. And I haven't read them all by any means. Almost every one of those sermons ends nearly with these words, if not these words exactly, very close to this. John Calvin concludes again and again, Now we shall present ourselves before the face of God and bow in humble reverence. And really, we could make that application from the book of Job over and over again as you read that book. Calvin did. And so we need to pray for humility before God, a holy contentment with God's will, that if we are saying we believe in God the Father Almighty, then He is God. We are creatures. And we need to humble ourselves before Him, trust in Him, and bow before Him. Well, that brings me to my final point. That is that we must draw near to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. You might say, where does that come from the book of Job? Well, what we do see from the book of Job is this. In his suffering, Job needed right theology. He got that from Elihu to some extent. He certainly got that from God. But more than, and in addition to, right theology, he also needed to be brought before God. He needed personal fellowship, you might say, or contact with his God. Elihu's words were correct, but they weren't enough. And really in suffering, when people go through suffering that is chronic and difficult and deep, we all know that there aren't any formulaic answers. There aren't pat answers. If you've ever had somebody suffering who's close to you and and you're trying to help them or encourage them, you know that there's not just a quick phrase that you could say that's going to make everything fine. Talking about it may help in, in some respect, but it doesn't immediately cure everything. The Bible certainly gives directions and answers in some ways to the sufferings of this life, but the ultimate cure for Job, as it is for us, is a true relationship to God. Job encountered the living God. And Job was an Old Testament believer. He knew God through faith. He didn't know that much. He lived uh, long ago, before hardly anything was known. He knew a little bit of the gospel. We knew no Adam and Eve were given the gospel after they fell. Apparently, Job knew enough to be saved, to be a saved man. But sufferers need to have a sense of the presence of God. And God's presence can never be separated from his counsel, his wisdom and power. And so it is that if we affirm, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that has to be linked with a right understanding of God being our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. God is not the Father of everyone Jesus makes that clear in the Gospel of John when he tells unbelievers that their father is the devil. And what we find in Ephesians 2, for example, is that Jesus came, it says, he preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to to those who were near. And then it says, Paul says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Amazing. Once far off, 
but now brought near through the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit to access to the Father. And so it's marvelous that in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, where believers were ready to faint and give up as persecution mounted, that the author to the Hebrews calls them to endure suffering as sons. And it's interesting, he says, God is treating you as sons. And then he says further down in verse 9, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as they thought, as it seemed best, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Affirming the almighty power of God, the Father Almighty, means that we believe in God through Jesus Christ so that we can declare, He is my Father. I am a son of God. I am a child of God through Jesus Christ. And I know that He is working all things for my good in Christ. And so tonight, how do you need to affirm or reaffirm your faith in God the Father? Almighty. Our walk of faith is a bumpy one, and the Christian's walk of faith is made up of hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of moments of faith, of steps of faith. Our life, our walk is made up of day after day, and every day has its steps of faith, its moments, its temptations. And in every one of them, we are tempted to trust something or someone else or trust in the Father Almighty. We are tempted to assert ourselves as our Lord of our own lives or submit to our Father and confess Him as our Father Almighty. Every summer, we go to West Texas, and there's a certain mountain our family loves to climb. It's only about 1,000 feet up from, we're already almost a mile high, but it's another 1,000 feet up. But it's a good couple hours hike as the land goes up. And then, but, but you can stand back, and the country is open, and you can see the top of the mountain. You can see this one straggly weathered tree up there on the very top of the mountain. And you can see where the pass is. You have to go up and get up to the top of this mountain. But every time you start that hike, you start with a step. It's these little steps. It's getting through the jagged bushes, and then it's getting through all the rough rocks, and it's getting through here, and then the land starts to go up. We've been up there all these years, but it always takes all these single steps. This week, you and I are making more steps of faith. There's obstacles before each of us this week. There are temptations and trials. Some of it might be deep suffering for some of us. Maybe it's the temptation that comes with prosperity, and everything going pretty well. You and I are called to trust God the Father Almighty. Trust in Him this week. Amen. Father, thank You for revealing Yourself, for revealing Yourself to Job, and that it's recorded for us that we, with like questions as He has, that we can hear the answer that You gave Him and that You declared Your almighty power 
Thank you for the saints who have gone before us. Thank you for those who have walked in, in faith in you and suffered great things and have even laid down their lives. Thank you for those who have been influential in each of our lives, who have been examples of Christ and Christ-likeness. And we pray that this week you would help us in this walk of faith if there are uh, difficult places in our lives this week, help us to cry out to you to make us more deeply humble before you and to make us more believing in the goodness of God through Jesus Christ, who has loved us with an everlasting love. We pray in his name. Amen.